0: Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast.
1: <laughs> well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt.
0: We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships.
1: If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place. Here we
0: go. I want to talk about this topic, but I don't want to talk about it. You know what I mean, Sherry? Yeah,
1: I guess.
0: Not really, because I haven't even explained
1: I mean, I've had lots of topics I don't want to discuss with you before. <laughs> oh,
0: it's not going to be one of those. Okay. Don't worry. I, I want to talk about the importance of positivity. But then I feel the like... The power I'm just, of positivity? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> There's like a little cliche about it. I, but then I feel like it's just too fluffy and, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It's ineffective and... It's it's Positive not it's not meat and potatoes, you know. It's not. It's not. There's nothing tangible about it, but I just can't help but ha- to have come around to believe that it's overwhelmingly important, especially in the world of recovery. And it turns out that's what this podcast is about: the world of recovery. So I think we got to talk about it. Okay. Me, optimist, talking with you, pessimist, yeah. about positivity. So we've got both sides of the street covered.
1: Yeah, but I think that when you're talking about like the power of positivity or positive reinforcement or those sort of things, like it, you know, negativity plays into it. But I think that's a different sort of pessimistic, like my per- pessimistic persona is different there.
0: Oh yeah. And, yeah. Well, I'm hoping to learn more about that as we go through this. Let's start with a couple of quotes, shall we? Uh,
1: Yeah. Let's start
0: with one from Abby Medcalf, who was on our podcast um, 20 or so episodes ago. Abby uh, is great. If you haven't listened to that one, we recommend you go back. She's a relationship maven, which I had to ask her what the word maven meant, which was a little embarrassing, actually, I should have known. But just expert, like guru. Um, She's got lots of letters behind her name. She's she's professionally trained, but but she, she, she prefers the title Relationship Maven. And Abby says, the key to motivation isn't about stopping something, it's about starting something. She just said that this week. And I think that's really profound and important, especially when it comes to alcoholics in early recovery. You know, when I was trying to quit drinking, well right there, I just said it. I was trying to quit Drinking. I wasn't trying to start the rest of my life or um, move into a an enlightened space. I wasn't trying to, you know, move past a poison to to a healthy spot. I was trying to quit drinking, stop drinking, stop being an alcoholic. All this negative verbiage around it, and I think I don't think that's just common way to say it. I think that's a hundred percent the way it's it's said and addressed. You've got to stop being an alcoholic asshole. Not start being anything. And so I love that Abby talks about the key to motivation isn't about stopping something. It's about starting something. What do you think about that? That's right there. That's the power of positivity. From, from your perspective as the loved one when I was trying to quit drinking, was I just trying to quit drinking or were you able to see, oh, our future could be great because X, Y, and Z.
1: Um, I guess it would be hard to say that looking for a brighter future. If you were to start a journey of enlightenment, like those weren't words that would have popped into my head. I just see right you there. To quit you're, drinking because you're saying I, it in that. Uh,
0: this is just fluffy stuff, kind of. Yeah. Tone to your voice, and I don't blame you because that's how we think of it. That's how we're we're programmed to think of it, right?
1: Right, and and who knows what you would be, so you could still be a sober asshole. True. You know?
0: Sometimes I I am. Yeah.
1: There's just, you don't know what to say, you know, to say, oh, I think you're going to be so much happier. I mean, there would be times where I would say, maybe you'd be happier if you didn't have to worry about the alcohol and planning around it and making sure (laughs) it was here. But I know that that just went in one ear and out the other. (laughs) So any positivity that I would have had around that sort of language related to the absence of alcohol would, uh, we wouldn't know what to say.
0: No. Well, we're, we're just not seasoned and conditioned to think that way, and when we do, we think of it as I don't know, fluff is the only word I can come up with, but just like overly positive, overly optimistic, and just the tone of your voice you used when you talked about enlightenment uh, is a perfect example. That's well, not we, a criticism of you. I think that's how most people would view this topic. So coming around to believing that it's really important has been a hard, you know, trip for me to make. Mm-hmm. So, so let's, let's I want to give another quote. This is from Dr. Robert Weiss, who is the author of a book called Pro Dependence he's really turning and using his own words, he's really trying to turn the the way we think about codependency on its ear. Uh, he is a very positive dude. He His book, Pro Dependence, is, you know, within our Echoes of Recovery group, we share a lot of resources, podcast episodes, uh, websites, and certainly books that we've read. And I would say that Dr. Robert Weiss's prodependence book is at the top of the list as far as books that have had an impact on the members of our group and been just highly, highly recommended. And Dr. Weiss is actually scheduled for a future episode on the Intoxicated Podcast. We're going to be doing the interview in the very near future, but I'm not sure exactly when we will release it, so I can't give a date. But look for it before the end of the year—an uh, episode with Dr. Robert Weiss. But so his book, *Prodependence*, he, you know, he says one of his big messages is that loved ones aren't broken. They aren't. The codependency is is a fallacy because it implies that if you love an alcoholic and you stay with that alcoholic and you become traumatized by the alcoholism yourself, that that you are part of the problem. Uh, when we use the word codependence, he says we blame the person that we're accusing of being codependent for part of the problem. And he looks at it in the exact opposite way and says that people who have survived alcoholism on the loved one's side of the fence, they're heroes. They have um, done everything that they can to help somebody who's desperately in need of help find and get the help that they need. Now, he's, you know, he's not Absolute in that meaning, he doesn't believe that you just have to stay and stick it out no matter how bad it gets. He's not he's not saying that. But if you have run the gauntlet and you've you've found recovery both of you, then uh, that's something to be celebrated. There's no room for blaming the loved one, and so that's a very positive message. Being called a hero is way different than than you know having your senses questioned because you you stuck with someone that was. Having a problem? How relate that, Sherry, if you would, to your experience when I was in active addiction, especially toward the end when it was really bad, and you had started to seek out advice from family and and really not friends, but but a few family members. Did you feel, you know, like you were making a mistake by sticking it out? Did you feel guilty for not leaving me? Um was there negativity surrounding this i mean i mean i don 't think we used the term codependence i don't think we understood what that meant at the time, but did you feel negativity around the decisions you were making
1: um, i I just felt very negative about our life in general, so I mean I was not happy with what was going on and and the uh sort of playing it off or like, harm reduction sort of steps that I had taken, or then the the steps I had taken, like, I'm not going to participate in even buying, like, the tonic water for your gin and tonics, or yeah. the limes and things like that. Um, you know, I felt like they weren't making any impact. Uh, so I don't really know how to answer that. I just felt very negative about you in general and our marriage in general and a lot of our behaviors. So... I didn't feel like a hero at all. I didn't feel like I was doing the best I could because I didn't know what the hell I was to do.
0: Well, when we talk about the power of positivity and the fact that it's not fluff, that it's real, this is the really important message that Dr. Robert Weiss is sharing with the world that you are a hero. And I believe him. And I'm so excited to talk to him and have him share this message live Uh, with us in in just a matter of weeks so look forward to that one both listeners and Sherry because you're going to have someone on calling you a hero pretty cool you know one of the things that, that I've said and written about a lot lately in the last six months or so is that I've come to pretty firmly believe that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety lots of people say that but I really believe the opposite of addiction is self esteem I feel like that when I drank it was medicinal toward the end and it was to medicate stress and worry and feelings of inadequacy and my bucket had a hole in it my bucket wasn't filled it was unfillable but drinking would give me temporary relief from that sensation and so if we can help people who are suffering from addictions or if they can help themselves to feel good about themselves and stay in that positive arena I mean, that's one of the things we talk incessantly about in early sobriety in our shout sobriety group, the importance of self-esteem and and staying positive and feeling good about ourselves. And so, you know, self-esteem is just an inherently positive thing. So here we've got something that, you know, that we work on very hard in our recovery group. We've got Abby Medcalf talking about looking at it as a positive starting something as opposed to stopping something and Dr. Weiss talking about for the loved ones you're a hero there's nothing there's no blame that you're that is deserving of being landed on you all positives so it's more than fluff it's this is re, these are really really important concepts that I think it's you know what it reminds me of Sherry it reminds me of when when you hear people say oh you know if you're if you're not feeling good and you're suffering from depression and anxiety you need to don't worry. Don't worry about medicating that. I mean, certainly, sometimes medication is required, but that should be more toward a last resort versus a first thing you try. The first thing you should try is getting out in nature, uh, spending time outdoors. Get some exercise: walk, run, bike, whatever that might be. Um, try meditative breathing. Uh, connect with people that are healthy for you. All these things that we give lip service to and say, yeah, 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 I know that's important, but then we don't actually do it. That's the way I feel like this This idea of positivity, especially in the recovery world, is viewed. Yeah, 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 I know. I know I gotta look at this better. I know I've gotta have a gratitude practice. I know I've gotta be thankful for for where I am and the steps I've taken. I know I've gotta look at progress over perfection, but you know, we, we say we know we've gotta do that, but then we don't actually do it.
1: Well, the good thing is Abby, Abby Medcalf says that you shouldn't keep a gratitude journal. If you listen to that podcast. Oh, that's right. Yeah. She talks about small, quick gratitude. Yeah. So I was all down with that because I tried to keep gratitude journals and I would get mad.
0: Just becomes another chore, right?
1: Yeah. Just another chore. And you would always list off the things I wish you'd be grateful for. So it just had a burning feeling in my thing when I, when you were drinking, but, but Sherry, I'm drinking, but this, 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 and this.
0: That would be my, like a kind of a form of gaslighting for me. Exactly. To tell you all the ways our is perfect. So I felt like I was just gaslighting myself in
1: ways. Yeah. You know. I knew what I was thankful for and grateful for. But, yeah, lots of lip service to the things we should do. But don't you think that kind of goes to the medicinal sort of effect that alcohol has in a person? Or the way the pharmaceutical companies have advertised getting help? And so it just makes it easier? So alcohol helps me... Yeah, Be medicinal for the drinker. Getting on an anti-anxiety or anti-depression just seems easier. It is.
0: It's it's quicker. It's just not long-term the most effective approach.
1: Yeah, if we looked at it like it wasn't, you know, or it was approached at the doctor's office. Like, I was really lucky. My um, GP said, you know, you'll know when you need it if you feel the effects in a week or so. And this isn't long-term, this is to kick-start, because I had been dealing in high level of stress. So you're anxiety, talking about in anxiety anxiety, yeah. yeah, so that was kind of a, a kick-start into that. But then I even came off of them before you quit drinking. I wasn't on them very long at all, considering how many years some people are on them. But I quit before you even gave up drinking but it helped kind of like get me back to a little bit of a baseline. Yeah. That was lower baseline and I could start to deal with those things because I just took a very low dose. Yeah. So it helped a little, but it was certainly not not anything that I looked at long term or wanted to do long term. I
0: think you're right, though, that, that they are, whether it's prescribed medications or your drug of choice, alcohol in my case the medicinal effect, it is is a shortcut, but it's an ineffective shortcut because it's not complete. So, for instance, if I felt bad about myself and I would drink, those feelings would go away, but they'd come back and they'd come back even worse in sobriety. Absolutely. So, you know, it kind of reminds me of what I've read about sleeping medication. Yes, it, it knocks you unconscious, but you're not actually getting the proper kind of restorative sleep. So, you know, anything that's a shortcut, I guess, You know, and, and I don't know that this is necessarily work and stuff that we've learned in recovery. I guess it is. But it's also just stuff you learn once you have some years behind you. I mean, we're uh, I'm in my late 40s and you just turned 50. Um, you, you just learn through life experience that if it's billed as being too good to be true, it probably is. The shortcut's don't don't really work. The the success at whatever you're trying to achieve comes from hard work and persistence. Yeah, and so when we talk about the things we've got to do in a positive light to feel better about ourselves, you actually got to do them and not just take a pill or, or drink some scotch to make them, you know, to to shortcut that. So yeah, definitely definitely agree with what you're saying there. You know. When we talk about loved ones and we talk about recovery, discovery, getting better, getting healthy one of the things that we find most often that is lacking is kind of a sense of self-love whether it's from being called a codependent for a long time and being told that they're partially to blame for the drinking or completely to blame for the drinking of their alcoholic loved one whether it's from that or any number of other reasons, the, the, the people who have been through alcoholism on your side of the street, Sherry, as the loved one, have been beaten down for long periods of time and don't feel very good about themselves. And so one of the first things that has to happen in the healing process is the loved one really needs to learn how to love themselves, which is obviously a very positive thing. How do you feel about that? How did you, like, is that too fluffy for you, the The term, you know, the idea that you've got to love yourself first? Have you ever even gotten there? Or or do you think that that's a kind of a silly phrase?
1: Well, uh, love yourself, it always makes me think of that song and I hate that song. So, um... I don't necessarily think I consider that I love myself. I feel like I give myself respect.
0: Okay, that's good.
1: Um, So I guess that is a form or a part of the equation of love. I feel um, like by respecting myself, I started to respect my feelings and started to listen to them and be able to express them more. Uh, you've got a big old catch. Heart. What, what's the grin on your face for? Is it because all you can think of is the Whitney Houston song? And... No. <laughs> okay.
0: I'm grinning because I'm glad. I'm glad you asked. I wish this was TV instead mm-hmm. of radio. I've said that more than once. But at the beginning, before we start every podcast episode, you ask me if I'm going to make you cry. <laughs> Which always makes me feel terrible, regardless of what the answer is. And I said, no, I think this one's going to be quite a bit more uplifting. But then as we've gone along, <laughs> I feel like I've asked you some kind of tough questions. Yeah. And so you're sitting over there with your arms crossed, giving me scowly face looks as as the question unwinds. Like, you asshole, how am I going to answer that one?
1: And yeah, because so, like, let me just so let I our think, listeners know, you give me no prep. This is cold all the time. Well I'd Absolutely be happy cool. to sit
0: down and we work, just work never out have a discussion with you, but I, I just don't feel like that's high on okay. your level of interest so
1: back to the question.
0: No, I I think I, Okay. Just just to finish that thought, I think that's a perfect example of why this is hard. I bet there are people that are listening that have already turned this off and been like, Oh my god. They're not talking about anything real this time. They're talking about fluffy stuff. Yeah. And I know that's how you feel answering. I just asked you if you love yourself, and, I'm, and I know the kind of person you are. You're like, "Oh, shut up!"
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think it's important. Well, also, let's like because we had spoken about um, a couple of books and podcasts of sex experts loving yourself is what they call oh, it when they want you to masturbate. Okay. So that's why I'm like, ah, I hate that word. It makes it worse. Whitney Houston made it terrible and now Whitney they made Houston
0: it worse. can't do anything wrong. Don't okay, talk I'm, like that. Well,
1: I just can't stand that song. So I think that I had to have like more self-confidence and more respect, and I guess that would fall under the category of loving myself and listening to myself, speaking up for myself or doing things that I felt like I didn't have to get your permission for and doing them because they felt good to me or they felt, like, right to me. So I'm sure that falls under the umbrella of love yourself. Yeah. But I wouldn't call... I like myself a lot. I feel like sometimes I'm a little too sassy and a little too, like, off the cuff. So I feel bad that I am like that sometimes. But I feel like if... Where I've lately I've said I've called myself the lorax, I speak for the trees, people that won't speak up for themselves. I like try to be an interlude to or intercessor, I think is what it's called those in are prayer both big words I'm not but sure. you know I'm trying to speak to one person on behalf of another person just based on their feelings, and I know that kind of seems meddling, but it's for good intention
0: well, Dr. Kinda... Robert Weiss would say you're a hero for that, yeah. Well, I we do agree. have some
1: of our some. I I feel like some of his stuff though could be a little taken a little controversial in a way, like like some of the detachment pieces and the boundary pieces. Oh, because when making... I think of what you and I went through, you know, I think you said that when I stopped giving a shit, basically is what I did about what you were doing.
0: Well, that but that falls in line with exactly, and and we are when we but I when already, we interview him, we are going to ask questions and push back a little bit on some of his theories, and hear hear what his response. I'm sure he's going to have brilliant responses because I'm sure it isn't the first time he's been asked yeah. these questions. But but you just talked about how y- your form of loving yourself is basically self respect and standing up for yourself mm-hmm. and believing what you believe. That's what happened when you stopped giving a shit when you. When when my alcoholism got to the point where you were tired of it, you didn't want to hear about my next plan or my next solution or some book or I had read feelings, or my or feelings.
1: How sad you were! Yeah, I was. That just,
0: was you standing up for yourself right. and having respect for yourself and loving yourself. Yeah. So again, you can frame this in a couple of different ways. Sure, I don't give a shit anymore. That sounds pretty <laughs> negative. <laughs> but really, <laughs> but really, it's pretty positive because she's not. Buying what I'm selling, and that's a good thing. Yeah, because it worked for somewhere. you, and,
1: and, it and it worked, it worked for, for our you. situation. Yeah, it worked for our situation. So, yeah. Let's talk about. <laughs> she let's talk about. Give a shit no more. <laughs> she doesn't give a shit no more. You can but, tell that I'm from Indiana. <laughs> southern.
0: Let's talk about <laughs> traditional alcoholism recovery <laughs> programs and modalities, and just speak. The way we talk in traditional alcoholism recovery. We talk about stopping drinking. You got to quit drinking. I don't know why I went into the accent again a little bit. Um, 12-step programs. You've got to fix your spiritual deficiency. All of that is negative, right? Stop doing this. (laughs) Fix what's broken. (laughs) But we, we never talk about it. I mean, I guess a little bit more nowadays with people like Abby Medcalf and and Robert Weiss in, in this field. I guess we do talk a little bit more uh, about this. But traditionally, there's been no spot for positivity. When I think now, when, now listen, when I started getting sober, I thought about it that way. I got to stop drinking. I got to quit screwing up my family. I got to stop making my wife hate me. I've got to do all those those things. I I've got to, to, to stop doing the negatives. I have to make this sacrifice for my family. Absolutely. Very negative. But now, even when I look back on it, this was a really, really, I mean, it was a difficult time. It was a challenging time, but it's the time when I had the most emotional growth of my entire life. I was mo- more focused relationally with my family members than at any other time in my life. And In the first couple of years of sobriety, I experienced the most intellectual growth that I had ever experienced. Listen, when you're a high-functioning alcoholic, you spend a ton of brain power on arguing with yourself about whether or not you're an alcoholic. Arguing with yourself about whether or not there are people that are worse off than you and those are the ones that really have to quit drinking and you don't have to. And then you spend inordinate amounts of brain power trying to decide what your rules are going to be that you're going to put around your drinking so that you can keep drinking. Oh, I'm only going to drink beer. I'm only going to drink on the weekends. I'm I'm going to drink a glass of water between each drink.
1: So then you're just a drunk, slobbering, pissing self.
0: Yeah. Swaying in front of the urinal is what you get from from that one. But, But the amount of brain power that's involved it doesn't leave any room for true intellectual growth. You're either thinking about that next drink in a positive like I can't wait till I get to drink again or you're beating yourself up for the last time you drank and you overdid it there's no room for intellectual growth and I know you don't like this word but and maybe it is too fluffy but enlightenment and when I think back now on my early sobriety man I grew more in those first couple of years than I know I'll ever grow I mean, experiencing emotions for the first time because I had since my late teens learned how to drown emotions out with alcohol, that was some heavy lifting. That was some serious growth and serious maturity. And so that's positive. If we tell people uh, don't, you know, rather than tell people you got to do this negative thing, you got to quit doing this thing, you got to deal with your spiritual deficiency. Instead of saying it that way, if we say listen, we're going to teach you methods and techniques to grow emotionally beyond your wildest dreams, to improve your relationships and focus on your relationships and and actually want to be a part of your relationships and to have this intellectual growth that you'll never have experienced before or after. If we tell you that's what's going to happen for the next couple of years, boy, that that sure is an easier sell than you got to quit being an asshole, stop drinking. I don't know why I yeah. keep doing the
1: accent. Well, and you didn't mention, but I. I don't know if it was implied, your um, intellectual growth. I mean, the education that you did. I think that you learned more in those first few years of sobriety or leading up to sobriety about brain chemistry and just the, you know, all of the physiological things that alcohol does to your body. Mm-hmm. And I think you probably studied harder than that than you did in school, in college at all. Oh, for sure. So there's that educational growth. So maybe I like educational growth rather than enlightenment. I like that too. Because you educate yourself on so many aspects.
0: Listen, I, I feel like as as we get positive in the way we're talking right now and we get fluffy, for for lack of a better term, I feel like you and I are recording a 60-minute TV infomercial where we're trying to sell <laughs> some self-help program or something. But... I really believe that the only way for us to fulfill our potential, whatever that potential might be, is to get that poison out of our life. You know, we can reach we can reach a place um, without that poison of alcohol that is just inaccessible until the poison's gone. Um, this is not candy canes and unicorns, even though that might be how it sounds. And you know how much I hate the candy canes and unicorns social media recovery world. Oh, I'm, I'm feeling great today because I'm sober. Hit the like button if you're feeling great today because you're sober too. That stuff is just <laughs> oh, grating on me.
1: Oh, yes. You hate that. You I don't know. You always change it up with candy canes or cotton candy or puppy dogs. Puppy dogs. But there's always a unicorn there.
0: Unicorns are because yeah.
1: they're but they're magical creatures they are magical so when i think you can transform transform into a unicorn perhaps after you've educated and you become enlightened because we're kind of out there on our own in a lot of ways like social settings yeah. you know how do you pass along what the knowledge that you have and have this enlightened life and then go out there and be in the real world don't you feel a little weird about going out into the real world sometimes and Socializing? Because, I, I mean, kid events are always, you know, alcohol-laden or...
0: Yeah, but this goes stuff. this goes to exactly what we're talking about with intellectual growth and fulfilling potential and emotional growth. When we socialize now and everyone else in the room is drinking except for us, I I feel like I've got a secret that nobody else knows sometimes. Mm. I mean, I, I feel... I, and you know, Sherry, better than anybody else. That you At like, the beginning... You- that was traumatizing for me. And it's traumatizing for anyone in early sobriety to be in a room full of drinkers. You feel like you've got two left feet and you feel like you've got a huh, a unicorn horn on your head. You feel like everybody's looking at you and wondering what's wrong with that guy. In reality, nobody's looking at you. Nobody cares what you're drinking. But now I feel the opposite. I feel like, you know, I wish all you other people could experience what I'm experiencing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's kind of, I don't know, it's all, almost kind of stuck up, you know?
1: Cocky. Cocky. A cocky, like I have a secret. A little there. arrogant. But, okay, well, the, I just thought that I would throw that question out there and be play devil's advocate because I know that's something that a lot of people struggle with or feel uncomfortable. And you do have to give yourself time. That's right. To go back into the social scene. And then you get a little disgusted. And now you say to your to a point you know, where you're like, haha, I know something you all don't know. Yeah. I am fulfilled. But and... I
0: think the fact that we have to, like, I have to look back on my early sobriety now to feel proud of myself for what I accomplished and that, that emotional, intellectual growth, all of that. And at the time, it just felt like drudgery and negative, and I'm quitting doing this thing I love. I think that that is a result of the way society portrays alcohol as the solution to any ill it's for celebration, it's for mourning and everything in between and how society views sobriety as oh you're sober well something awful must have happened because nobody would be willingly sober Mm -hmm. and so if we can change that then maybe the early sobriety period doesn't have to be this negative awful thing because it shouldn't be, It's, it's the most impactful, most growth oriented period of your life or maybe maybe after you're done yeah. being a baby.
1: <laughs> that sounds like something the, I would have said. The second most. When you're when you're done sacrificing being a baby <laughs> and you crawl out. Yeah. Um, okay.
0: Yeah. So yeah. Uh so the the loved ones, so it's not just the traditional alcoholism recovery advice for the drinkers that is negative. Stop drinking. Fix your spiritual deficiency I'm Using all my accents today <laughs> The loved one's uh, Traditional advice Is equally negative Maybe even more so Stop enabling Detach Now I, I and I think you as well Are not um, Completely against detachment We, we find some, some significant value in detachment It's just the wording mm-hmm. Detach Negative Remove yourself from this thing, um, and but enabling is is certainly a negative term. Stop enabling, um, and you know again both these things: detachment and stopping enabling are important. But gosh, there's got to be a better way to say them, and I, and that's one of the questions that we've got for Doctor Weiss when he comes on. We're going to ask him how do we look at that in a in a positive way? Um, you know, the the one thing certainly that he shared with us, is how about we talk about you're a hero if you're successfully navigating the alcoholism of someone you love. Um, How about we value you as the loved one for having unbelievable compassion? And how about we value you for holding the family together? I mean, that, that one's obvious. But it's not... I just don't feel like it's glorified in the way that it should be. I feel like when there's alcoholism in a marriage, and the alcoholic finally gets sober, right? All of the glory goes to the alcoholic for finally getting sober. And the loved one who endured all of this, the spouse who endured the terror and trauma is just like, oh, you know, the questions are always, oh, how's Jim doing? The questions are never, how are you doing?
1: Well, Well, I think that sometimes there are questions. I know I was asked, how are you doing? And we were very fortunate. We had some really great people in our lives that asked how I was doing, but I also knew that there was a stopping point, that I couldn't go into too much detail. Um, it was kind of just the, you know, like they didn't want to know a whole lot because they didn't want to have to try, I don't know, if try to understand it or get emotionally involved or attached or, or Did you get connected. much congratulations for holding the family well, no, I didn't get any. You're the only one. And I think my mom and your our parents, like, and you know, I think those are about the only people that said, like, congratulations or... Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's got to change.
1: There would be a lot more, like, you know, there would be comments like, I'm so proud of you and Matt, and I'm proud that you guys stuck it out, or, you know... But the just from proud the bit, tight inner circle. Just from, yeah, just from those small inner circle... I, mean, I also you, think that sometimes people might be a little embarrassed to say that to somebody, too. I'm just thinking of, like, people that are friends, that are kind of more acquaintances, but we've known them for a long time, and we do have details. Like, I feel like it might make them uncomfortable to say that, because they don't know if that would be the appropriate thing to say.
0: I think you're right, but I think that's kind of the point, point, yeah. and that's the problem, right? I mean, So it's
1: no fault of their own. It, they just don't know what the appropriate level of... Celebration or congratulations or you know or what if it didn't, you know, like work out. If
0: I broke my leg and you had to nurse me back to health and I couldn't work, and you know everything went okay with that, you would be seen as wow, Sherry really went through a lot to to help her family and she was single parenting there for a while because Matt was down and out and gosh financially they held it together or whatever. I mean, I feel like that people would be openly. I'm not saying people would just come gush all over you. Great job nursing yeah. your husband back to health. Health. But, well, you
1: know me, I'm not quite a nurse. And if you just have a broken leg, you better be pulling your own weight a oh, bit. Just but.
0: A broken leg isn't enough for you.
1: Okay. Could you so, remember?
0: Better be careful. Could you remember be more that? Go
1: down and go down hard. But. I get what you're saying. Like people wouldn't be gushing all over you, but there would be some sort of like, "Oh man, that must have been tough," or "This is tough. What can I help with?" Yeah. Yeah.
0: Some some kind of congratulations for you. And and certainly um th- th- I think you're 100% or, right. People just don't know what to say when it comes to alcoholism recovery. And frankly, they want out of the conversation as quickly as they can get out because
1: it's an uncomfortable topic.
0: It's an uncomfortable well, and topic. Well, I wonder
1: too if like it's like, yes, there would be say you were injured or hurt or hospitalized or whatever and I had to like keep it all together, people would be like, you know, showing respect by like, Wow, you did a really great job doing all this, how can we help? or whatever but I think also sometimes some people are very, like I said, uncomfortable about what to say and also maybe their opinions are different like, you should have just left him, you know, and let him go be in a gutter or I always wonder that too. Like how many people think that it was wise to stay together or even though like they see us now. So I wonder if they think, gosh, you should have left that alcohol like a long time ago. And maybe there's a sort of a feeling of like, oh, you just stuck it out, you know, when you yeah. could have been doing so much better on your own.
0: And that again, that's just, that's negativity. That's And this is not to say that there aren't cases where you've exhausted all efforts and leaving is the right thing to do. We know that there are cases where leaving is 100% the right yeah. thing to do and we are good close, close friends with people who have ended their alcoholic marriage and it's 1000% been for the best. But it's not on us as friends of people to make that determination for them, mm-hmm. but but you see that a lot. Ugh, if if I were you, I wouldn't be putting up with that shit. Yeah, you know, things like that. How do you know till you're in the situation, right? So, so yeah, I just think there's too much negativity surrounding an issue that should be should be positive, and um, and and how different would the recovery be for both? Parties if it was. Doing recovery alone, whether you're the alcoholic or the loved one, is an inherently negative thing. All the time we hear about cases of people who've decided to stop drinking but they're not going to get in a program. And listen, I'll be the first one to say I wasn't going into the rooms of AA if you would drag me there kicking and screaming. I just... That was not going to happen because of my preconceived notions about what Alcoholics Anonymous was, the way it's portrayed in society, the way it's portrayed in movies. That was absolutely not for me. And so I got to struggle for 10 years trying to do it alone. 10 years of active alcoholism with, with periods of sobriety and then periods of relapse because I thought I could do it alone. And the more I learned and the more I read, the more I understood the need for connection Because doing recovery alone is just inherently negative because it's isolating, it's lonely, there's no accountability. That was a big part of it. The only person that I was ever accountable to was you. I would tell you I was going to quit drinking and this is it, Sherry, and I'm not doing this anymore. And I would tell nobody else. And so when I would decide to start drinking again, the only one that I had to convince, or I don't think I was actually convincing you, but the only one I had to communicate with about my change of heart was you. I didn't have a network of people to hold me accountable, and there's no idea sharing when we're isolating like that. Do you remember when I went through my period of deciding my solution to my alcoholism was going to be that I was going to be a non-alcoholic beer connoisseur? <sighs> yes. I was going to. I be think the it landed expert.
1: on Mother's Day that we drove around for hours, different.
0: I mean, that big is so embarrassing alcohol, to relive. That you know, you're right. Yeah, I alcohol was,
1: stores and liquor stores and,
0: but like the to super find, center liquor yeah, stores trying, to, trying find, to find variety in non alcoholic beers with the kids in the car.
1: Yeah, the kids and I sat in the car most of the time listening to an audiobook. I don't know why I felt like I had to have you guys. Well, with and me. of course, because it, it was still selfish. You were still in your selfish. It was like, oh, it's Mother's Day Sunday, or because they sell alcohol here. Let's and, go look for non alcoholic <laughs> beer. Or happy know. Mother's Day, Sherry. <laughs> I feel like it was. I think you're right. Because we were going to be going to the Indianapolis 500 trip. And so you wanted to have some beers that were non-alcoholic beers that could look like it. Yeah. To take along.
0: But so when I talk about having a lack of connection, a lack of community, there's no idea, Sherry. (coughs) There was nobody there to tell me that this is a stupid-ass idea.
1: Except for me. Trying
0: to be a... Yeah. Who I didn't listen to at the time. (laughs) But, you know, nowadays we are friends with a couple that owns the first of its kind in Denver the first non-alcoholic bar which is a really cool place if you're in or around Denver it's called Awake it's it's a coffee shop in the morning and then a, a non-alcoholic bar at night and they're killing it they're doing great but the owner was telling me not too long ago that if if you tried to sample all the non-alcoholic beverages that are out there beers non-alcoholic wines, non-alcoholic spirits, you just couldn't do it. There's just too many of them. But, you know, back when I was trying this years, what, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, nine years ago maybe, this was my solution to my alcoholism was to become a non-alcoholic beer connoisseur. There were like three. There was Odules, and Coors had a version, and St. Pauli Girls had a version. Maybe there were like five.
1: Yeah, I was going to say there was like a, the maker of Guinness.
0: Oh, yeah. Because we had a
1: yeah caliber. Yeah. Yeah. So there were an Irish friend that was pregnant. So there There were a handful
0: of them, but none of them were good. And there was, you know, nobody in my community to bounce this off of. So I thought this is the end all be all solution. Anyone with, with any kind of sobriety under their belt or experience with trying to get sober would have said, that's not a complete solution, Matt. Um, You need more. You need to be working on more than just I'm going to drink this instead of drinking this. And so uh, so much inherent negativity to trying to do recovery alone, no matter how smart you are, no matter how strong you are. That isn't about willpower. It's about not being isolated and lonely and having some accountability and a community to, to share your thoughts with. And that's what you get from community, whether it's the alcoholic or the loved one you get connection, you get resonating experiences you get that accountability, other people know what you're going through and what you're trying to accomplish, and that is huge, and you get challenging discussions, you, you know, it's not, I think, I think when people think of peer support groups, and again, this is sometimes how it's portrayed in society, how it's portrayed in the movies, when we think of 12-step programs, the big, the big two, right, AA and Al-Anon We think of people sitting in a room telling their rock bottom stories. In the case of Al-Anon, we think of it as a big bitch fest. I'm going to come to this room and I'm going to complain about my husband and what an alcoholic asshole he is. And there is some truth to that. I'm not here to knock AA and Al-Anon. They have both saved millions of lives and they are a good fit for some people. But for other people, they are not a good fit. But that's not to say that you shouldn't find your community even if your community needs to be something different than AA and Al-Anon. There are other communities out there. Luckily on the alcoholics side of the street there are hundreds, maybe more, maybe thousands of options for recovery programs now You know that are just Google searches away. There are lots of innovative approaches to getting sober. And all of the ones that have any kind of success associated with them, have that connection piece, have community as part of them. Um, it, but it's it's just as important for the loved ones. And so, of course, um, we have our Echoes of Recovery program that we encourage anyone to check out. And I can assure you, it's not just a bitch fest. We don't just go negative all the time. Sure, if someone's had a really bad experience, they've you know endured a relapse... Um, There is space for that person to tell the story and to get help and support in a very negative time. But a lot of what we work on is positive. How can we get better? Regardless of the drinking status of the person we love, how can we get better? It's not negative and toxic. And that's how community, I think, has to be in order for it to be effective.
1: Well, and when you find comfort and connection with people, I know that you have just said that the opposite of addiction is self-confidence and a lot of people say it's sobriety or community but within that community and you found your people and you found comfort and you, you f- then you have self-confidence to be able to converse with these people and connect with these people whereas you've been kind of on a, in isolation or you've been around people that have tried to support you but they've not been through what you're going through so, is that where you're saying the community provides that self confidence because you've kind of found your people, found your tribe, you know, and yeah,
0: finding your people, I think is super, super important, don't you?
1: yeah, yeah,
0: I mean, it changed your life when you had when you when you had people to talk to about the experiences that you had been, been through,
1: yeah, I mean, then things were even just different between my sister and my mother dealing with alcoholics. they both had different approaches. And just the education that then has come along since, you know, um, and resources for um, finding out what to do about things. and
0: So in you know. many ways, you're very close with your mom and your sister. In many ways, they are your tribe. But when it comes to discussing healing from my addiction, they really kind of aren't your tribe. You found your tribe elsewhere. And that's okay. There's nothing to feel guilty about that, right?
1: Yeah. Um, You know, we were just different different decades of dealing with the alcoholism and different upbringings in a way. You know, from... So, I think that... But I think that you had mentioned something about, like, when you do find your um, community and you have discussions and, you know, and it might be, like, how you... I think you mentioned something about you have deep discussions, but they can also be um, of opposite sides and you, you learn from one another. Oh, I love that. Yeah.
0: I love when we disagree in our, like in our shout sobriety group or in echoes. I love it when we disagree. Mm -hmm. I love to be challenged and, and hear different perspectives. Because
1: I think within those communities that you found that you, even though you're challenged or you disagree, it's that respectful disagreement and and learning to understand both sides and being okay with you know someone having a different opinion than you yeah because what I, it worked for them. what I
0: don't like what doesn't help me is when I hear things like it works if you work it you just yeah. gotta work it or we'll save a seat for you for when you relapse which again I used an accent and I don't know why yeah but I I hate the mantras but when somebody actually has a uh, you know, and intellectually stimulating thought that, that that it doesn't even have to be an original thought. It can be something that they read somewhere. But when they bring it in and share it and say, "I've been kicking this around lately. What do y'all think about it?" I love that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I love to be. I love to be challenged. That's why I'm looking forward to this interview with Robert Weiss about <laughs> when we're going to talk about detachment, which Get is down, a cornerstone.
1: Four times
0: well, I've been doing a little interview prep. <laughs> Leave me alone. But. Uh, but yeah, the you know and and I want to be clear when we talk about the importance of community and finding your tribe, I mean about twenty minutes ago, I felt really salesy when I talked about fulfilling your potential, and I said we it feels like we're mm-hmm. recording a infomercial. I don't want this to be overly salesy. I don't want to tell you echoes of recovery is your only option if you're a right. loved one. The truth is, there's not a lot of options out there. Um, but if you can find an Al-Anon group that works for you, that's great. Just yeah. don't do it alone. Yeah, is, is what I'm. I think to say.
1: that is. I think that's what's tough is trying to do it alone. And I was fortunate that I had a friend that I was able to um, deal with it. You know, her struggles and my struggles within our marriage and our families. But then I felt so sort of complete, and I think that's when I started to really appreciate a little bit appreciate myself and what I'd been through and the struggles that we'd been through when we started opening up our echoes of recovery group and had met people that were very similar to me and I don't know if that's how you felt with shout sobriety talking to people and I know you had had more experiences of people coming up to you and talking to you about their struggles or their loved ones struggles but I just felt a lot more i guess proud of myself so that was the respect versus the love i felt for myself I was like wow you know this is something really good
0: yeah yeah when you hear other people
1: yeah this is not i'm i know that you know i have a couple of people say i'm not alone i've read read about not being alone but really hearing it yeah. and putting a face to the voice um you know
0: And connecting with people on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, I used to be in a work situation where I went to lunch most days at my office job with the same group of people. And one person in the group was particularly negative. So we'd go to lunch. And, you know, I don't think it's uncommon if you've got a stressful job that's got its ups and downs. I don't think it's uncommon to go to lunch with people and, and... bitch about your company or bitch about your boss for a few minutes at the beginning you know as you're breaking away from the office but this particular individual (laughs) would go negative and he'd stay there the whole hour we were together and just bitch and complain about the company and i'd come back and that in the afternoons after lunch i'd be in a bad mood and it took me a long time to connect the dots and to stop going to lunch with this particular individual who i loved i still love it really, really funny person.
1: Very funny. Yeah. Dry yeah.
0: Really, really a wonderful person, but, but that negativity was having an impact on me, and it took me a long time to realize it, but that negativity is really destructive. Um, and so, again, I just feel like it's so fluffy to talk about the importance of positivity, but there really are some tangible examples inside of and outside of alcoholism and recovery and addiction. Um, it's just it It's just something that we don't I think again, oh you know, gotta take a walk in nature, we know it's sort of important, but we don't do anything about it. removing yourself from negative situations and removing yourself from verbiage and traditional talking points that are really negative it's it's I just think it's important that person that I'm talking about it it turns out to i think um suffers much as I do from. Uh, addiction to alcohol, which when I found that out we're we 're not in contact anymore, but when I found that out a few years ago um I gotta tell you it 's not surprising living in that negativity re- eventually requires a need for medication and um I think very similarly to my path is something that happened to this individual we 're talking about, which is sad, but it 's just more proof that negativity is destructive. And positivity is a life-giving force in my best fluffy voice. What do you think about that, Sherry?
1: Well, that voice is better than your negative grumpy voice. But I think the words are very impactful.
0: Excellent. All right. Well, I'm positive we're done talking about this. (laughs) Before you go, we hope you'll consider these three resources.
1: If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org.
0: If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org.
1: No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. Go to soberevolution.org.
0: For my wife, Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast.